Stop. Drinking. Four. Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups. A as. Oh. Each group. Five. Each group has but one primary purpose: to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Suffers. Six. An AA group out never endorse finance or lend AA name to any related facilities or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven. Every AA group out to be self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight. Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may pay special employee special. That's right. Nine, AA as, uh, as such out never be organized, but we may create service boards or committee directly responsible to those days. Sir. Sir. Very good. That's correct. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence AA name out never to be drawn into the public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attractions rather than promotions. We need always remain personal anonymity, the label press radio and, yeah. and internet. internet. That's right. I was trying to add this. Thank you. Twelve. Anonymity is the spiritual foundations of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principle before personality. Everybody knows that. Thank you. Did we pass? We pass. Excuse me? Yes, you guys passed it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Dana! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, dear Dana! Happy birthday to you. Keep coming back. So Yay! Uh, my uh, sobriety date is um, September 28, 2003. Um, very grateful to be here. Um, I walked into Victory Park um, on that day 20 years ago. Um, I had been in the rooms in my 20s, and I said, "This isn't for me. You're 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 all crazy. I'm not." <laughs> I had to go out and and do a little bit more. Uh, uh, experimentation and I am so grateful that when I walked into Victory Park 20 years ago that man was sitting at Victory Park um, because I know that um, I literally was not willing I was not honest willing or open-minded whatsoever um, <clears throat> to do anything um, other than basically when I went into went into Victory Park and they all shared and then they asked if anybody else wanted to share that day and i said i raised i finally raised my hand and said well i don't think i'm like you guys so and that terminal uniqueness um i'm very grateful that um les was very kind as you all know and loving and tolerant and so patient with me and like dave and happy birthday dave Congratulations, seven years is awesome. And Sherry, welcome. So grateful that you came with me tonight. You're just one of my blessings. Um, 
really quickly, um, I've learned um, that uh, the black part in these books is what helps keeps me sober. Um, and um, I'm a really slow learner. Um, it took me a long time to understand Bill's story. Um, honestly, it was when I was 12 years sober and I was sitting in a women's meeting in Sierra Madre and I literally finally got Bill's story. Um, and it was the part where he talks about how everybody was jumping out of windows um, because of the stock market, but he would not jump out of a window. He would go to the bar because that was his solution. And it finally dawned on me that every single time that I wanted to jump out of a window, that was not my solution. My solution was to go to the bar, go to the drug dealer, whatever it was. So again, I'm a very slow learner, <laughs> but I've been able to put a little bit of time, um, you know, together now. Um, what I really, really, really am grateful for, I do a step study at Victory Park on Mondays um, at 12 noon because that's where basically I learned that service is what absolutely keeps me sober. Um, and so I'm in the book every Monday. And um, so it was probably about a year ago I was reading um, The First Step. <laughs> And I read the first step so many times. Um, and all of a sudden, it just literally jumped off the page of me is that, you know, again, um, for me, again, uh, my, it, well, I'll read it very quickly. Until he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious. I mean, that's, that's recovery until it was not about my drinking. My drinking was the symptom. It was this and how literally I was, as Les Loved used to remind me all the time, Dana, stop being the general manager of the universe. You're not God. And it took a long time for me to humble myself. And I'm still trying it. I mean, I still work on it on a daily basis, but I have a really, really good group of women that help keep me sober. I can't do this by myself. I hear less all the time. Dana, stay in the middle of the herd. If you want to stay sober, do not go on the outside. If you're on the outside, you're going to get picked off. So I have to remind myself that I have to stay very much in the middle of the herd and I have to humble myself each day. Um, my sobriety is the most important thing in the world for me. Um, and so I'm just very grateful to be able to share that with you guys today. Thanks. Congratulations, Dana. Okay, so do we have 20 to 25? All right, thank you. Happy birthday, all the birthday cakers. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I want to thank Les and, and Fernando for asking uh, my sponsor to come out and speak. Um, it's already 6.30, so I'm supposed to this was when I was supposed to stop, but, uh, so I'm only going to go for five minutes, hopefully, on this. Anyways, I would like to thank everybody and welcome the newcomers uh, to the meeting. This is a great park meeting. Um, it was one of my uh, nightly Friday night stops every every Friday night, and uh, you know, life changes and schedules change, and now I can only 
intend here every other Friday night, and I haven't even been able to do that. So um, when my sponsor came into town, uh, which was really nice because he actually stays at my place with me, so it's uh, kind of a surprise, you know. But anyways, um, how it was, uh, well, it wasn't really good. And I don't have to tell anybody about the horror that we uh, lived coming into this program. We all know why we get here. It's because our lives had become completely unmanageable. And, you know, even today, my life is still quite unmanageable in a lot of areas of my life. But, uh, you know, today I don't, I don't hurt people and I don't hurt my family like I used to. And, uh, you know, one of the hardest uh, things that I've had to do is make that amends to myself because at times I'm still beating myself up and I, you know, I do myself a lot of harm this way. You know, I, I'm of service here in the program, which keeps me sober day in and day out. I get to work with people. I love sharing my hope and strength with other people. But at, at the same time, I have a thinking problem, which was as bad as my drinking problem. And it always seems to get in the way. And, uh, you know, one day at a time, you know, I, I got myself into this mess. And if I'm lucky, I'll uh, get out of it the same way. And that's just one day at a time. And uh, today I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm free for the first time in 55 years of my life. I don't, I am not a slave to this disease that robbed me of so many things and that I give away so many things that I love to this disease. And, uh, you know, I've been blessed beyond blessed by, you know, the higher power that I call the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has saved my life. And I know what he could do for just about not just about everybody's life, let's face it. Um, but it has helped me get to another level of this program and where I'm not just reading words on the page in the book. I actually am able to look at it and dissect things out of it that it speaks to me in a totally different language. And, you know, I've had the same sponsor for many, many years and he never failed me. I failed this program in so many ways and uh you know it's amazing that today i still talk to that man who never gave up on me and and <laughs> it's funny we'll be talking for days he'll be shooting warning shots over the bow and i'm just ah, da, da, and i'm just going in my own little world and he's just waiting for me and then you know it could be sometimes as weeks and months later and it's like oh what do you think i've been telling you and he doesn't tell me he told me so but <laughs> That's what he's saying. So I'm really super glad he's here tonight. I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy his shares. He's a great man that uh, who's helped a lot of men in this program and continues to help a lot of us. And uh, we're going to wrap it up. And that his name is Dave D. Yeah. Dave N. Dave D. Dave D is who I called up here. I'm a little nervous. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, good job, sir. Good, good, man. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Hi, my name is Dave. I'm an alcoholic. Hey. Am I too loud for people? They usually say I am too loud. Anyways, uh, I'd like to thank Les for inviting me out here. Actually, I came out here in something like July. I was in a meeting over there in the, in the morning and then came over here to this barbecue meeting. And, uh, and uh, then he asked me if I'd like to come and speak here. And in my head, I'm saying, hell no. You know? But I said, sure, because they told me with, with the long timers, always respect them. And I said, sure. He says, okay, this is what you got to do. You got to text me when you get home, because I live in Arizona. He says, you got to text me and uh, good for now. a little closer. All right. You got to text me and, and then I'll tell you what to do. So when I'm at home, I'm thinking, should I text them? Nope. I don't want to come here. You know what I mean? <laughs> But anyways, you know, that little spiritual battle between you, your alcoholism, and yourself, which is all the same person. So, you know, I text him, and he says, okay, fine. He calls me, and then he says, 29th of September. Now, it's I think it's July. So I'm thinking, oh, man, that's a long time. I'm good. You know, but then before you know it, it's September 29th, and I'm coming back again. You know, and so coming on out here, so I'd like to thank you. And uh, it's kind of weird for Steve. You know, I sponsor Steve. And, you know, when I moved to Arizona, I gave him my furniture, some of my furniture, so I wouldn't have to move it. You know, and my bed went in his extra bedroom. And, you know, and so all of a sudden, when I come to California and I stay with Steve, I'm sleeping in my same bed. Just like, you know what I mean? Nothing ever changed. It's actually a good thing. God works in mysterious ways. But anyways, you know, to start it off, I... When I was new in recovery, when I first got here, man, I heard the speaker say at the beginning, he went to a party when he was 11, and when he got home, he was 41, you know, and, and he was in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know what I mean? I thought, wow, man, that guy's reading my mail, you know, because I started getting loaded at 11, and I got to 41, but mine was just a little bit different. I was living in a recovery home that forced me to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, but, uh, so, you know, like most of us, you know, I started, I, you know, I actually started with a little bit of that commercial weed, you know, that, you know, with all the stems and seeds that you got on the album cover and it just went all over the place. And I started off with a little bit of that and, and there was older kids on my street and I grew up in La Pointe and the older kids on the street, if you were the one that had a little bit of weed, you were a friend indeed. You know, so, so so they let me hang out with them. And the only reason why I could afford any of that was because I was a paper boy. You know, so I delivered the papers, and I'd roll me up one, you know, and I'd smoke it as I was delivering the papers, you know, and, and I should have got the warning then, because when I'd run out, or if I wouldn't do that, delivering papers was a job, and it kind of sucked, you know, but as we were going right there, then I was with the older kids, and then they taught me how to score alcohol in front of the liquor store. You know, quarts of Burgermeister was 49 cents, so I'd each throw in a quarter, stand in front of the liquor store and ask people, to get it for you sometimes they would and sometimes they just take your money but that was that was part of the deal as we were moving forward a little bit man at 15 years old i picked up my first felony and uh a, you know minor in possession of alcohol and possession of marijuana 15 they, they sentenced me to drug and alcohol classes so i was into drug and alcohol classes you know with a bunch of drunks at break time they gave you an abuse you know, I didn't even know what interviews was, but I had to take it anyways. But and then the, all the people that were in there, they were all drunks, man. And they were saying, what's wrong with you, kid? You know what I mean? Did you get a DUI on your bicycle? 
you know, and I thought, oh man, you know, I, you guys are all old in here. And I said, no, I, I got possession of marijuana. They said, you got any? And I said, yeah. Oh, at break time, hook up with us. I said, sure. So one more time, I'm with the old people, 15 years old, in a drug and alcohol place, smoking weed. You know, at break time. You know, and then, and then it went on. It continued. I, I ended up with a construction job as a union mason. And my very first job when I got there, the foreman told me he'd come and help him, you know, snap some lines out. So I went with them, and he says, do you smoke? And I said, yeah. He handed me a joint. He said, smoke this. And so I tried, I lit it, tried to pass it to him. And then he said, just sit there and smoke it, man. You know what I mean? I'll be with you in a minute. He was reading his plan. So I thought, wow, union, this is good. You know what I mean? I'm watching everybody work. And, I, and then I thought, man, I could do this. And then at break time, when it came down to break time, man, I heard everybody opening up these cans. I thought it was soda. When I looked around, they were drinking beer. And they said, you want one, kid? I said, absolutely. So now all of a sudden, man, I've been on a union job for three hours, already smoked a joint, having a couple beers right there. And I thought, man, I'm in the right place. Yeah. And so for the next multiple, multiple years, that's how we did it. We just drank, we used. As a direct result of my drinking, I had, I wrecked 17 cars and trucks. You know, and, and the sick thing about it is, is I'd buy a new truck, I'd look at that truck and say, man, that's a nice truck. I wonder how long it's gonna last. Because I knew I was gonna wreck it. I, it was just the price I had to pay. You know, and wrecking those 17 cars and trucks, I had absolutely no DUIs. How that happens, I don't know. I do believe that that was my higher power watching over me. You know, I learned here that he watches drunks and fools, and I qualify in both areas, so I guess he's been watching me all this time. So, you know, so the last time I was doing pretty good, you know, I was able to buy homes, get married, have a kid, you know, do, live the American dream, but the only thing that I couldn't do is I couldn't be there. You know, I, mean, I was working seven days a week and I was drinking seven days a week. And, and I thought, you know, why do I need to be there? I'm busy. You know, my wife used to say, you know what, Dave, you know, you're a good provider. You need to be around a little bit more. So, all right, all right. So, you know, when I started coming home a little bit more, then I'd go outside and drink with the neighbors. You know, so I was home. Or, and then sometimes I'd come home and I didn't want to be there. So then I'd pick a fight with her, so she'd tell me, get out of here, and I'd say, okay, great. You know, the plan worked out good. So, you know, she used to leave me notes, you know, from rock and roll bands or whatever. One was from Led Zeppelin, she said, you know, wrote on there, one of these days, and it won't be long, you'll look for me, and baby, I'll be gone. And I thought, yeah, right. You know, you'd be a fool to leave all this, you know? <laughs> Shit. I'm the one that had to leave, you know, she ended up with all of it, you know, but I was horrible, you know, and so, so as, as, as this was going on, when she finally divorced me and uh, it wasn't going well, I took alcoholism to a level that I actually never, ever want to see again. And a lot of years that went past, you know, and it was kind of weird. I facilitated a book study for a while. And when they talked about the four horsemen, you know, the terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. When I was talking about that, and I looked around the room. And when those people couldn't identify, they started talking to the person next to them, which aren't there yet, that hasn't faced that. Most of the time, they don't stay. 
because it hasn't gotten that bad yet. They thought it's gotten that bad, but you got to take it to a, you got to take it to a level. You know, the book says we have to be badly mangled, and I do believe that because we still think we can beat it. So, anyways, I'm in I'm in Orange County Jail. You know, they, when I got that case, they gave me was it 12 classes of drug diversion program 12 classes they were two hour classes you know one a week it took me a year to do that you know it should have been 12 weeks but i kept blowing it go back to jail for a little violation come out and then finally when i screwed all that drug diversion program up and everything then all of a sudden i was i was going to jail i was going to prison that was it it was over i was in james muzak jail in Orange County one more time and they're ready to sentence me and there was a guy in there and uh, he said what are you here for I said for drugs and alcohol he said you ever heard of sober living I said you know I haven't been sober in in 30 years I, I don't I don't even know what that is he says no it's a house you could go to instead of in, instead of prison I said, well, yeah, that sounds good, you know, right? You know, and I said, where is it? He said, well, so what's the name? He said, it's called Pointy House. And I said, oh, is it in, is it in La Pointy? That's where I grew up. He says, no, it's in Covina. I said, ah, same thing, it don't matter. And he says, by the way, Steve's in there too. And then Steve, yeah, Pointy House, you know what I mean? All right, that's where I'm going. So I'm sitting in my rack and I'm thinking, you know what, if these guys are in Pointy House, what are they doing in Orange County Jail with me? So I look back at the guy and I said, hey, Jason. I said, what's up? You're in Pointy House? Yeah. Steve's in Pointy House? Yeah. I said, you're you're here with me. You know what I mean? Why are you in jail? And he says, well, me and Steve went shopping in Walmart when they were closed. You know, they, they came in through the roof hatch. And you know, it's kind of weird in Covina, there's West Covina, uh, uh, Walmart, there was, there's one in Azusa, there was like three Walmarts right around that area, but they chose Orange County to go to, you know, and break into the Orange County one, and, and you know what, he was my Eskimo, you know, he's the one who told me about that, went to the judge and said, hey, can he go to Pointy House, and he said, I don't know about any Pointy House, you know, I'm ready to sentence him to state prison, and I looked and glanced at my sister in there, because basically she was taking care of me, that's all I had left. 41 years old on the way to state with everything burned down and then so he said well you know what i'll give you a chance to give me some information on this place but i don't think it's happening so what they ended up doing was was they got this guy named jay goldstein he was out of the pasadena area and uh you know he, he was a he, he was a man that would go up to the judge and try to convince them that that i was not a bad man that i was a sick man you know, and, and for some reason, the day that he came to that court to do that, the judge that wanted to send me to state prison wasn't there. There was another judge there and it was his first day on the bench. And in Orange County Jail, when you come from the bottom, I mean a court, Fullerton Court, when you go back up to court, you follow a line, you open the door and you're in a box. You know, and, and in this box, you know, you're inside court and you could put the Pope in there, man. He's gonna look guilty. You know, so everybody, you know, so you're sitting in there thinking, shit, I don't want him to see me. And, and then all of a sudden I heard this judge say, oh, I'm sorry. And I, man, I went in front of this judge many times and I never heard him say, I'm sorry. And he said, thank you to this clerk for something. I thought, man, something's wrong. When I glanced up, it wasn't him. It was another judge called Derek Johnson. And he, he granted me that pointy house. 
And so I get to the pointy house, man, and I'm really, really grateful. And I don't know about you guys, but great gratitude lasted me about two and a half days, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm complaining about everything. But I'm sitting in this recovery home and I'm trying to figure out a way that I can live in this recovery home, beat my court case, and get loaded. You know, so I thought I'd become the AA poster child. You know what I mean? I was going to go to a bunch of meetings. I was going to carry my book. I was going to get a sponsor. I was going to work the steps and I was going to do all these things. And then all of a sudden, when nobody's looking, I'm going to get loaded. You know, I'm going to pull this off. Well, somebody tried it just before me and he got caught. But then he ended up going upstate. So I thought, well, that ain't a good idea. <laughs> you know, I told this house manager, I told him, you know what? I'm going to be the only one that stays sober without taking the steps. He goes, do you hear yourself? I said, yeah. He goes, what'd you say? I said, I'm going to be the only one that stays sober without taking the steps. He goes, yeah, the only one. I thought, oh, shit, you know, whatever. So anyways, they give you out 60 days, ungrateful, untreated alcoholism, man, and then all of a sudden they give you this thing called an overnight, you know? So I'm on, I'm in my little car, and, and at this time, man, I had this little Nissan car, and it was dying of alcoholism, too. It had more dents on it, man, than anything else. The car was worth 50 bucks, and it had a $100 radio in it, you know? <laughs> That's all I had. That's all I had left, you know? And so I'm going down the road, going down the road and, and I was going to go visit a friend and just before I was going to visit a friend man there's people that I know that get loaded you know what I mean I was going to stop by and show them how well I was doing but I missed that off ramp and then so I'm going down and I'm headed towards Ontario and I knew right there man I'm going to go show these people I know they're in the garage playing darts right now I'm going to be in that garage and I'm going to play, be playing darts and I'm going to show them how well I'm doing and how good ANA is so right when I was going there and I was getting ready to pull off, there was a car on my ass. He was right there on my ass. You know, and I'm thinking, shit, man, all I got left is this $50 car and he's gonna rip it, you know, wreck it. You know, so when I turned around, I was getting off the freeway when he's going to pass me, I went to go flip him off like our birthday guy was saying. I went to go flip that guy off and uh, in the back of their window, there was a circle and a triangle that shit man and i used to hear people in a meeting saying i need a meeting i need a meeting i thought that was the weakest thing i've ever heard in my life right then that thought came to my head man i need a meeting and that man something's going on so i turned around and i headed to covina to the 502 club and i went to a meeting right when i walked in that meeting i'll be a son of a bitch and my house manager wasn't leading the meeting so i thought oh my god what's he doing here you know, I never seen him in the five. You know, I mean, I've been there eight times. I never seen him. <laughs> but, you know, and so he's leading. And then if you're in his house and he's leading, he's going to pick you to share. So I tried to hide in the back behind this big guy and I was leaning down, called me to share. And, and I told on myself, you know, I said, what happened? And and then so I started heading back to the house and then he he's following me. I said, oh, man, I'm going to get kicked out. You know, what I mean, it's over. You know, impending doom. Anybody ever had impending doom before? <laughs> it's crazy. So all of a sudden he comes in and goes, so, what's going on? You know, he's nothing, man. I almost got loaded, man, you know. I think I better get a sponsor. I think I better take the steps so I'm not the only one who stays sober without taking them. <laughs> he says, good idea. And I said, and? He says, good idea. I said, and? He said, and I guess I'll see you later. And he took off. 
So I thought, what the hell's going on? But you know, at, at one point in time, he told me that that was, you know, the fork in the road, the turning point. He had a chance of going which way he decided, and he decided to come back. So I got that sponsor, and I started taking those steps, man, like my life depended on it because it actually really did, you know? And after I did end up taking the steps, I didn't, I got to the fourth step, I worked my fourth step, man, and then when it came down to dropping the fifth step, the sponsor I had used to talk a lot about people, you know, he had a big mouth, you know, and, and I didn't give a shit if he was talking about other people, but then I started thinking if he's talking about other people when I'm not there, you know what I mean, or when I'm there, what's he talking about when I'm not there? And then I'm gonna dump this inventory on him? So I, I, I dumped it with another guy. And there, and there was another guy around here, man, that John knows, man, his name is Tattoo Steve. And actually, man, I, I started getting loaded with Steve and working with Steve in the 70s, you know? And, and Steve was one of those guys, man, he'd start drinking and you wouldn't see him for two or three years, you know? And he'd come back. He was one of those. And, and I was able to drop this inventory with Steve. And then I went back. I would have had him, Steve to be my sponsor, but at the time I was his construction foreman. So I didn't think it'd be kind of right. You know, they was my sponsor and I'm his boss at work. You know, maybe there might be a little trouble there. So when I went back to my sponsor and asked him, okay, you know, I told him that I dropped the fifth step, man, where do you want to go from here? And he said, I don't know, I don't care. So he kind of like got butt hurt. And, you know, so I had to get another sponsor. So all of a sudden, since I needed another sponsor, I thought I'd be self-sponsoring through my own contributions. <laughs> you know, I dropped the fifth step, I got it, you know what I mean? I, I did this thing, you know what I mean? Here we go, you know, because it's a five-step program, right? <laughs> well, you know, as time went on, man, I, I, thought, I thought the obsession had left me, which it did. But when I stopped doing things for my recovery, the recession was coming back, the obsession started thinking about getting loaded quite a bit. Then I started having those drinking and using dreams. Anybody ever have those? Yeah, yeah man, it was scary, man. You wake up, oh shit, you know what I mean? So I start. I asked somebody about that. What do you do about those? He goes, enjoy them, because when you wake up, you can't get loaded. I said, oh, okay, I'm gonna go to bed at night, I'm gonna have a using dream, I'm gonna get loaded, I'm gonna have a good time, and I didn't have them no more. <laughs> Killed me, man. Killed me, man. But so then it was time for for my time up in the recovery home. They, they gave me six months, and then and then the people that came before me that were there, they said, "What are you gonna do?" I said, "I'm leaving." You know? They said, "Well, most people that stayed sober stayed a year." I said, "A year? Out of your mind?" You know? But uh, so you know, a few of them were telling me that. So they said, "Why don't you just commit to 30 more days?" So I committed to 30 more days, and you know what? Now I wasn't court ordered, so I could leave at any time. So piss me off, please, I'm leaving, you know? Nothing happened like that. So I went on there, man, and I ended up doing a year in that uh, in that recovery home, and uh, shoot, and, and then all of a sudden when it was time to go, you know, I, a year when I did that year, my time was up and I needed to know I needed to go. So when I started looking for a little apartment or something to, to, to live in, it, it was horrible. You know, they wanted $1,200. I know they're a lot more now, but back then they wanted $1,200 to rent a one bedroom. They wanted a credit check and, you know, I had no credit. You know, I, it was, you know, so nobody was accepting me. So I, here's my solution one more time. 
instead of taking a drink, I go to a meeting. I go to a meeting, man, I see this guy named David Madden, and he says, what's up? I said, you know, man, I'm bummed out. I'm trying to get a place to live, and no credit. I can't get a place to live. He goes, I just bought a house, bro. I'm looking for a roommate. I said, really? He says, yeah, man, it closes in three days, man. You ready? And I thought, man, we'll go look at it right now. You know, God's looking over this drunken fool one more time. So I went to David's house and and when you know when I did work the rest of my steps, when it got to step nine, you know, I found out that, that I owed forty four thousand dollars. You know, and so and somebody said it night too, because there was a guy named Earl Hightower. We used to go to his workshops and he used to, people used to ask him, Hey Earl, I owe this money, do I gotta pay it? And he used to say things like, I don't know. How free do you want to be? You know, if you want to catch the big buzz, man, you got to be free. And I thought, wow, shit, okay, whatever. So I made payment arrangements, man. You know, I wish I could have said that I, I made arrangements with everybody and I gave them checks every month, man, to make the payments, but I went to my employer. I went to my employer and I said, hey, you know what? You know how much trouble I'm in and I'm trying to stay sober. I owe $44,000 and I need to pay it back. He looked at me like, I ain't paying it for you. I said, no, I'm not asking that. Can I give you this list of people that I owe? And, and can you make checks out to them? Because he was already garnishing my wage for child support and alimony. So he said, sure, I could do that. So, you know, I gave him a list of all the people. And you know, when I first got out of jail, he loaned me $2,000 to get in the recovery home. And uh, I was making all those payments. You know, to pay off $44,000, it took $200 a week for four and a half years. And when I was new in recovery, people were coming into recovery and they, they were getting cars, they were getting nice clothes, man. They were getting girls, they were getting guys, they were doing all this stuff in recovery, buying houses, boats, cars. Everybody was coming up, you know, and, and I was just paying my amends, hating life, hating on everybody. Jealous, envy, ego, pride, self-esteem, everything that you could feel, I felt it. The biggest one was anger. I hated it. You know, look what you guys made me do. But you know, by paying all those things, started getting a little self-esteem back. And then I started getting back in the world that I'm gonna get some credit. You know, and so I was applying for those credit cards that come, pre-approved credit cards, I'd fill them in, they'd send me a letter, you're denied. You know, and then I sent another one out, denied. And then one day I was watching uh, Claremont Ford, good credit, bad credit, charge off, nobody's denied. I said, I'm buying a Ford. You know what I mean? <laughs> Called up, you know what I mean? Got on their automated thing, man. Two days later, a letter came in the mail. They said, sorry, you're denied. <laughs> I thought, shit, I looked at the name like if it was Dave Nobody because they said nobody was denied. <laughs> You know, and so this is doing recovery. You know, my solution to everything was to get loaded, you know, and I couldn't do that. So what do I do? I go run back to a meeting. I go to the meeting and I tell everybody I was denied. They all laugh like you did, man. Everybody's laughing at me now. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is terrible. Terrible. You know, if they think if you're new or fairly new and you think it's easy to come in here and get sober, man, I, I beg to differ, man. It's tough, man. You get feelings, you know. <laughs> you, you know, it was kind of weird, too, that, that, that movie, uh, Passion of the Christ, that came out, you know, I remember when I was doing recovery. And a bunch of people were going to, to watch the movie. And every time they kept inviting me, I had to meet a sponsor or whatever. I couldn't make it. 
And then one day it was raining, and so I thought, man, I went to Blockbuster, got the got the movie, man, and I, I went home and I went to watch it. And when I watched it, I cried like a baby, man. You know what I mean? Not just that little whimpering thing. <laughs> and nobody was there. And I think, thank God I didn't go with all those AA people. You know, <laughs> it really got me. But the feelings and the emotions and all that stuff was going on. But then finally, you know, after sending those applications out for credit cards and stuff, finally, somebody came up man, and, and they said, you know, you're approved. I looked at it, it was actually household bank. And I looked like, approved? Well, that's kind of weird. All right, they gave me, I think they gave me like a $150 credit line. <laughs> yeah, baby. I went out there and I bought me a fucking pair of Levi's, you know what I mean? <laughs> with the credit card with my name on it. Here you go. <laughs> that's me <laughs> and then I made payments on that pair of Levi's <laughs> monthly <laughs> never thought it'd take so long to pay off a pair of Levi's but, you, know. <laughs> you know but engaging in the world one more time you know what I mean and, and then you know started doing that started working with a lot of alcoholics well at the very beginning this one guy I was crazy I was about a year sober man running my head running didn't know which way to go, and this guy came up and said, "Will you sponsor me?" I thought, "Man, he's he's more nuttier than me, you know." So I said, "Sure, sure, I'll do it." You know what I mean? So I went, and, and then when I was going to meet him a certain day, I went and got the big book, and I read four pages, and then when I met with him, and we read four pages, and I said, "I think we better stop right there," you know. And the only reason why we had to stop right there is that's all I knew, you know. And so then I went home and I studied a little bit more. Got a few more pages in, then we started working with him, and then that's what started started the journey. He used to sponsor a lot of people, a lot of people that were coming in. Because, you know, new people could refer to new people a little bit easier. It felt a lot more comfortable. When I came in, there was a lot of heavyweights, man. There was like Harvey, Ray Goodman, Big Book Mac, you know, like I said, Ray G, Waterfront Mac. There was just so many pillars of Covina sobriety. They taught us how to do how to do meetings. You know, you sit down and you shut up. You don't get up, get up and down, go walk around, go outside, smoke. You don't do all that. You sit down and you shut up. And then after a while, you know, maybe they might let you say something. Maybe they might let you read. Who knows, you know, how that went. But that was good discipline for for, for people like me with no discipline. You know, I just, but that's how I learned. Then after things going was going all right, man, the credit card thing was going right. I tried to buy a car on finance, man, and nobody would do that either, man. And I got in the hospital union's uh, credit union. Actually, my sisters got me in because family was invited no matter how bad they were. You know what I mean? It was nothing that I did. So I ended up, I got a, I got a, you know, a truck loan with them, paid them back on time, was paying all those other amends. And then when I went back to my boss, man, to make amends for for the two thousand dollars that that he loaned me, I said, you know, Joe, I owe you two thousand dollars. You know, I don't know if you forgot. He goes, no, I, re I remember. And so I'd like to make payment arrangements. He says, are you nuts? And with all the money that we take out of your check every week, you barely got enough to, to live. I don't even know how you're living. Yeah, but I got to do it to stay sober. He says, all right, I'll tell you what. Stay sober, you don't owe me no money. 
You get loaded, you owe me two thousand dollars. I said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do that. The big book says make the best deal possible. And, right? So I was good with that. You know, I'm pretty good at searching out those things in a book that benefits me. So you know, so as time went on, then one day, man, I was living in that that guy's house from AA, and I stayed there for two years and three months, and. Uh, and you know, I was knocking out all those demands, man. And there was this little sign thing in the sticking out of the dirt for a home loan. And so I called, you know, I'm used to denial. You know what I mean? Or used to be saying no. So I called up and the guy approved me. I said, really? You have no idea who you're trying to loan money to, you know? But you know, like I said, I used to have good credit. I used to have homes and stuff, but burnt all that down. They don't, they don't remember the good times with you. They remember all the bad times you had with them. And so it ended up, you know, I was, I was able to purchase a home at four and a half years sober because that's what it took me to get all, everything out, you know, all my amends done. And then right when that, that house was ready to close, they told me that, hey, we can't give you the loan. I said, why? And they said, because you owe state income tax $10,000. I thought, oh, my gosh. So I called state, and they told me that I owed they owed like $2,000. I said, why do they say 10? They said, it was 10. You've been making payments for four and a half years. I said, oh, okay, cool. You know, because I didn't know I was making those payments. The boss was making the payments. He was, he was doing all that. You know, I, I don't think I would have been able to do that. So, so it ended up, I said, well, any way out of this? I called the lender. They said, yeah, you can ask the, it was kind of weird. They asked the guy, the seller, to raise it up $5,000, man, and then you could pay the $2,000 back to them, and then you could end up with a couple thousand dollars for your pocket. I said, okay, that'll work great. You know, so I did that, and everybody accepted that, and then I was on my way. Because I remember walking those. It was in San Dimas. I remember walking up there and saying, God, if you do this for me and help me get this place right here, I'll do all your will. And I know what your will is because it's everything opposite of mine. <laughs> and, and it kind of worked out. And then that's where it took off, you know, and then there would be things to do. Sponsees would call up. People would call up to go do things, man. And, and then all of a sudden sponsees would call. And then I'm thinking, well, I could put the sponsee on. Oh, wait a minute. I made a deal. You know, I made a deal to follow up what he wanted me to do. So I stuck with it for, for many, many years. And as I was going through this drama of life, the sobriety craziness, you know what I mean? Working with, you know, I had 25 sponsees at one time taking steps. I was meeting three of them a day, seven days a week, you know? Some of them even more, it was, it was just, it was out of control, but I wasn't getting loaded, you know? And I think that was the good part about it, you know? And then I met her in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? Somebody that thought that she was fairly new that she could take care of me. You know, I need I need help, but you know it ended up that it ended up to be a good thing. She had some kids. She lived in her house, and and I lived in mine. You know, so we we worked our own different program. We stayed separated like that. You know, just dating or whatever you want to call it for five years, and then we moved her in after a couple of our kids left, and and then we tried to see if it was going to work. You know, if it wasn't going to work, you know, it's kind of different when you're not living together. But when you're living together, all those defects come out. You know, it is when you're first dating, you know what I mean? You won't even fart in front of a girl. And then after a while, you're holding your head under the cover. How'd that one go? <laughs> you know, you just don't care. You know, you become yourself, you know what I mean? And, and so, 
I didn't know if I was going to make it or not because that last that last divorce, I took alcoholics alcoholism to a level I never wanted to see again. And if this one failed, you know, I mean, who knows if history might repeat itself. But you know, we we moved on and things were going on, and it was really kind of weird in my life. I was able to re, I was able to retire, you know, and I was you know I, I was, my sobriety date is seven twenty. 2000 you know i just celebrated 23 years of sobriety and it, and it gave me and it gave me a, a chance to put my life back together and, and and scrimmage whatever i can left enough to retire and the only solution for me to retire was to move to arizona because arizona is a little bit cheaper to live so i thought i'm going to arizona i'm going to pick up where i left off i'm going to get involved in alcoholics anonymous man i'm going to get to exercising i'm going to do all the things i'm supposed to do for a year i didn't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> i wish i could say i did man but i didn't man and then when i go to the doctor he says man you're dying dude you know what i mean you got a fatty liver i still had my alcoholic liver i couldn't believe it what's the fatty liver from he said you drink well i used to well there you go you know so fatty liver glucose is high blood pressure is high just everything's in the roof so i had to i had to start exercising and doing all that stuff so i'm walking getting exercises do all that stuff so i don't have no time for aa right you know so i i, I obsessed on that for a while then it was time to go to aa so then i started doing alcoholics anonymous in arizona and you know you ever been to meetings when they do it different and you're sitting there thinking they're doing it different <laughs> they're not doing this right you know nobody claps you're getting ready to clap and oh yeah nobody claps <laughs> you know they don't have leaders of meetings they have chairpersons and the chairperson gets to share for three minutes three minutes that's it shut up you're done you know and then all of a sudden anybody else shared in the meetings which really bizarre too in the meetings right there it might be a 12 and 12 on a on a step or a tradition and then all of a sudden, you know, they uh, I'll be a son of a bitch if they stay with the topic, you know, what I mean? they don't start talking about how their dog's nose was dry or, you know, their problems and stuff. Because I used to hear a lot of people share on their problems, you know, and complaining and whining. I went to my sponsor. I said, hey, that guy with three years, man, is whining, bitching, complaining about everything. Is that the way I'm going to be with three years? He goes, yep. I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, do what he does. You do what he does and you're going to get what he does. See that happy guy over there? Follow what he does and you can be happy. Oh. You know, because I was one of those guys, if there's a group of happy people there and a group of miserable people over there, you know which area I'm going to? The miserable people. You know, that's just where I lived. You know what I mean? It was entertaining to me. It was just, I felt comfortable there because I didn't feel comfortable. But, you know, I learned to get comfortable through this process and working with with you guys, you know. And so, you know, now, you know, I get to bring California recovery to Arizona. And they don't call people to share. People just share voluntarily. And that's how it works there, man. And so I, I get to go to meetings. And I don't have to worry about sharing. I can just sit there, relax, and enjoy the meeting. And I think it's great. And all of a sudden it gets quiet. Nobody says nothing. So then, hey, alcoholic, you know, and then I get to break off some of the things that I learned from California AA. And you know what, man? Sometimes, man, they think it's just astonishing, you know? They come up and they want to talk to me and they say, man, that's some good stuff. Where'd you learn that? 
It's a Tovin AA. We had a lot of heavyweights over here. Still do. But, you know, this is where I grew up. You know, so now I get to do my exercises, try to live my life. I'm retired. And, you know, go to AA. I, I, I'm actually... My wife works because she covers for our insurance. So basically what I am is I'm the house husband. She calls me Hop Singh. Yeah. And nobody knows who Hop Singh is. He was that little oriental guy on Bonanza, you know, that cleaned up the place. So, you know, I mean, I'm Hop Singh and I'm humble. I'll do that, you know, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so life got good. You know what I mean? And, and if I knew retirement was going to be so good, I think I would have done that first before I started working. But, you know, it probably wouldn't have worked out, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. But once again, I, I was called some of the guys that I had met and, and, and I asked them to come and, and support me. It's been a while. It's been a while is when the COVID came. We weren't coming around sharing too much. There were some Zoom meetings, meetings cut down, they opened up, all kinds of stuff went over there. Life was in session and it kind of changed, you know? So I was feeling a little nervous and I really never felt nervous in Alcoholics Anonymous after I took my steps and I started doing the work here, you know? But, you know, before I'm coming, you know? And so I called these guys up, man, and one call phone, one phone call friends. Sure, I'll be there. No excuses, no nothing. They just, they just came, you know. And it was, you know, I see them today, man. And it was, it, you know, you get that feeling, you know, when you were down and outs and you were at your lowest. How many of your friends are actually there for you? You know, you could almost count them on one hand, if anything, you know. When things are good, they're there for you. But when things are bad, they kind of go the other way. So once again, I'd like to thank Les for inviting me here. Uh, love being here man i love alcoholics anonymous it's gonna be you know part of my life we got a chip guy that he kind of floats around and he does all the chips you know and he says we in the serenity group is uh, what's he say man he says we're enthusiastic about sobriety you know what i mean and people kind of mimic him and he says we got these fine chips and medallions our hope is that you get a complete set. <laughs> I thought, right on, you know what I mean? What's a complete set? You know? So death do your part. And hopefully I can stay here for as long as I Thank you for letting me Thank you. Hey, let's get up one more time for our speakers today. Woo! Stephen and Dave show. <laughs> Outstanding. Let's thank God for our new cook. Yeah. 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 And uh, Don and his wife taking care of us with water. And uh, thank you for the onions and the, and the people who brought the, uh, the tomatoes and so forth. Really appreciate you guys stepping up to the plate and helping out. We're going to have our uh, raffle, so if you need a light, uh, use your phone. <laughs> All right, now, get your tickets ready, please. Our first ticket, the last four numbers, is... Thank you. see it. Um, 9014. 
Excuse me, 8014. 8014. Okay, one, two, next number. 8016. Uh, probably in the same row. <laughs> Yeah. All right, we got a winner. Got a winner. Bingo. There we go. Ron again. <laughs> I don't know. That's well, Ron gave it away. Thank you, Ron, being of yeah, service. Good man. We appreciate your work here. Oh. Okay, we got a big book of 1212 and 12 or this emotional sobriety. Emotional sobriety. Emotional sobriety. One of the biggest nice books. <laughs> And now, 8-0. Thank you so much for your participation. Excuse me, 7994. 79 Yeah, if you're going to go home, get people your tickets. <laughs> How about 8034? 8034. We got a winner. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on down. You got a choice. You got a choice over here. And thank you everyone for choosing to come to Friday Night Live, man. Yeah. Speakers come from out of state, man. We're very thankful. You want to give it to someone new? Yeah. Okay, here, we got a big book or a 12 and 12. The, the lady with 30 days right here? 30 days, does she have a book? A newcomer. Who's new? Who has on 90 days or so? You got a bucket, man. Somebody need a big buck? Yeah, we want to roll it over to next week. Okay. We'll do that. All right. We got the grapevine. All right, now for the grapevine. Here we go. Thank you. Carry over and double it. Yeah, I'm Brad. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Brad. Brad. I'm uh, standing in for Robert. So the joke of the night is a guy wants a divorce, and he tells the judge, I can't take it anymore. She's out going to every bar, bar to bar, every night, way past midnight. Sorry, that's my diabetes. And the judge responds, what's she doing? And he says, looking for me. <laughs> Very good.
I'm less alcoholic. Yes. I want to thank everybody for participating. We need a lot of help cleaning up after the meetings. If you want to get involved uh, and be of service, it will disappear. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that's still suffering in and out of these rooms, and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Amen. Keep coming Keep back. back. Good meeting, guys. Okay, so did you hear some messages? Yeah.